It was autumn on the island. But not that island he wished he was on. That one ninety miles off the coast of Key West. Back when he was making all those runs from Miami in the 80s. Biscayne Bay through the Devil's Tongue and onto Havana. He thought about what Cuba must have been like in its heyday. Before Castro. Before the bastards turned Hemingway's house into a museum. And before Dwight and Fidel's pissing contest kept us from getting any good rum and cigars. Then again, if that hadn't happened... The man sitting in the corner of this bar trying to shield his eyes from the irritating neon would not have made all that money. He thought about how he fell in love with the people on that island. He could gaslight himself into thinking he helped them. Bring in American goods, take out Colombian drugs. Sure, he was bringing the drugs back to his own shore, but how many evils does it take to get to the center of a justification loop? There was that time at Mariel Harbor, though. He felt like he was doing the right thing. Like it sort of reconciled his conscience. All those people wanting freedom, willing to leave it all behind to, to get off that island. But he wasn't on that island now. The one he was on was cold and windy. Pretty in its own way, though. This time of year... The trees in the park turned a fiery orange in the sun before peppering the rust-colored ground. Street lights illuminated bright yellow leaves, glowing in phosphorescent juxtaposition against bony black limbs. Even within the bubble of urban sprawl, one can discern tokens of season's change. A bit of nature reminding humanity that it's allowing us our little plans, but it can reclaim this world at any time. He always lost himself in thought like this when drinking alone, and pondering nature made him imagine what it must have been like to exist here before so-called civilization. Before Verrazano came in 1524, greeted by the Wappinger tribe. There they were, minding their own business, probably trying to stay warm and harvest for the coming winter. To them, a slight drop in humidity and a discoloration in flora would be that sign from nature. And the Wappinger Indians, they understood because nature's voice was a bit louder back then. Then Henry Hudson would sail the length of the big river, mapping the Dutch East India Company. In 1624, those Dutch would return and establish the new colony of New Amsterdam, later renamed after the king's brother, the Duke of York. Somewhere along the way, the Dutch acquired this land formerly from the Wekwesjik, a sect of Wappinger people. This hunting ground and trading post they called Manhattan eventually became known as Manhattan. At that, the man took a sip of his drink. Whew, that's the stuff. This was the only place in the city it seemed to get a decent cocktail these days. It's been said that disco ruined rock and roll. Well, the 90s ruined drinking. Here he was a few months away from a new millennium, Y2K, and a ruminating old man in the corner of the last classy joint on the island didn't seem to fit in with Appletini's and sex on the beach. 
He had sex on the beach. Not that great. There are some places sand just doesn't belong. Even the fashionable tiki bars the old-time movie stars would hang out at have become tawdry vestiges of their former glory. Just as diluted by virtue of overexposure as the syrupy tripe they try to pass for zombies and Mai Tais. Kids have taken over drinking. Nowadays. Replacing low, easy lambency with in-your-face neon and vexatious pounding they call music. Oak bars and leather chairs have all been painted over with cold tile and hard plastic stools. And the bartenders, he thought? Forget about it. Once they finish serving all the gals in the shortest skirts or the lowest cut tops leaning over the bar, Bacardi Limon and Cranberry, Absolute Caramel and Soda... After they slide Jaeger shots to all their frat bros, then maybe, just maybe you can get their attention long enough to ask for a cocktail they either don't know how to make or pour from a pre-mixed jug of something. Speak easy? Not in those places. You'll never get heard over the din and dither of modernity. But here? Jimmy always kept the lights low in here. The wooden bar top softened with the patina of a millennia's worth of elbows, drips, and stories. Paying his tab, the man walked out of the bar, straightened his fedora, and ambled down the sidewalk, crunching orange leaves beneath the points of his Italian shoes. He could never have imagined, after the turn of a century, there would be a cocktail resurgence. A return to Prohibition-era drinking that would see his favorite drink become back into fashion in a big way. Not only that, but Epicurean enthusiasts would fawn over high-end spirits, and the bootleggers would perfect their homemade hooch so much that they would be called craft distilleries. Today, we're paying homage to a time of distinguished class and elegant debauchery with a drink whose moderate influence can be gleaned behind every red phone booth or false broom closet. Places where the speak is still easy and sheets still blow thrice to the wind. Before good authors who once used better words now only use four-letter words. Where the Ritz has been put on, worn away, and reapplied. A cocktail whose very name rings with heritage, progress, and aplomb. The Manhattan. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki. Sometime in the latter half of the 19th century, while the northern colonies relished and the southern languished with dignity, while the first wave of emancipated African Americans proudly acknowledged the long road ahead, and a country on the mend stood on the precipice of a new century. That's the world Lane Marshall found himself in. He also found himself mixing Promethean potions behind the bar at the Manhattan Club. Organized in 1865 as the democratic answer to the Union Club, the Manhattan Club served as more of a social entity than a specific place. Changing locations along NYC's Fifth Avenue, the club's membership boasted the likes of Grover Cleveland, Samuel Tilden, and even took up residency for a time at the home of Robert B. Roosevelt, Teddy's uncle. Furthermore, Lane Marshall was not even a bartender by trade. 
Dr. Marshall began mixing the drink for fellow guests at a gala held in honor of presidential candidate Samuel Tilden, a party hosted by none other than Lady Randolph Churchill. The drink became so popular among New Yorkers at the time, they took pride in ordering it by name of the venue in which it was created, the Manhattan. There is almost nothing as satisfying when researching cocktail history as a great story. Unfortunately, that's all this is. You see, later investigations discovered that even if such a party took place, there is no way it was organized or attended by Lady Churchill, as she was in London at the time, pregnant with her son, Winston. The more likely culprit of origin is accredited to a man simply known as Black, working at the Hoffman House along Broadway, circa 1860. Little is known of Mr. Black save he lived along Euston Street and Broadway around the 1860s and is referred as the drink's inventor by William F. Mulhall, a bartender at the Hoffman House for over 30 years. The only discrepancy with this story is that if Mr. Black invented the Manhattan in 1860, why did it not gain mainstream popularity till the 1880s? I believe the simple answer to this is, if the name Mr. Black was an epitaph based on his prominent feature, well, that might explain the apprehension in lending credence to his legacy. Let us remember, the opposite of slavery is not always freedom. Black's OG recipe simply called for American whiskey, Italian vermouth, and bitters. During Prohibition, Canadian whiskey was substituted due to supply chain issues. Apparently, all the American whiskey was held up on a barge off the coast of California, which wasn't even a state then, making this anachronistic joke even less funny. The use of Canadian whiskey with its more astringent rye-like bite may have been the origin of rye becoming the standard use for Manhattan, as rye and Canadian whiskey are very similar. In the 1884 American and Other Drinks by Charlie Paul, he gives a blend of Angostura bitters, plain syrup, liqueur glass of vermouth, scotch, and a lemon peel. A William Schmidt recipe from 1891 adds absinthe to his popular recipe. But alas, the modern consensus has landed on the agreed-upon standard of two parts rye whiskey, one part Italian sweet vermouth, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. And that, my friend, is the most satisfying part of researching cocktails. Finding a recipe that everyone actually agrees on. And with that, let's make a drink. Like the daiquiri, the Manhattan is one of those cocktails that, due to its simplicity, lends itself to myriad riffs. As Willie Nelson once said of writing a great country song, all you need is three chords and the truth. Bourbon, sweet vermouth, and Angostura bitters. Those are our chords, and we'll find the truth after a few rounds. Today we're not going to concern ourselves with riffs of whimsy, because like with any good experiment, one needs a control. We'll begin where I always prefer the spirit, in this case bourbon. 
As Black's original recipe states, any American whiskey is appropriate, but something like a Tennessee sour mash, I think, has to work too hard to be seen amid the potent vermouth and bitters. Therefore, I stuck with bourbon. Luckily, there's only two popular variants here to contend with, that is the Kentucky Straight Bourbon or Rye. The only technical issue here is that if you are using a higher proof or spicier whiskey like rye, make sure you stick with the full amount of vermouth, whereas when using the lighter, sweeter, straight bourbon, you may choose to lessen the amount of vermouth so not to overpower your bourbon. Other than that, it's purely preference. For these trials, I used a Rittenhouse rye and a 1792 bourbon. With the rye, there is a spicy start which mellows with the sweet vermouth, leaving a finish redolent of dark cherry. One of those mixes that is so well-balanced, it creates a canceling out of distinct flavors. For a dark drink, it is surprisingly bright and floral while still keeping a medium to full body. I find using a straight bourbon adds sweetness while rounding off the harsher edges. A bit more depth is detected, which could be due to the softer body of bourbon. It's smoother on the palate. In the spirit of full transparency, I have to admit, I generally prefer smooth, straight bourbon over the hot bite of rye. But for the sake of purity, I do like the rye for my Manhattan, as it is what the official IBA recipe calls for. I feel that, paired with the right vermouth, the fuller flavors of rye are integral to the balance of this cocktail. And the correct vermouth is paramount. Before we get specific, let's do a quick refresher on vermouth. A fortified wine mixed with botanicals, vermouth hails from 18th century Turin, Italy. As with most products of the vine, it didn't take long for the French to get their pretentious little fingers all up in the mix. And after all these years... Italian and French remain the two distinct styles of vermouth. Historically, French is the drier white version, while Italian would be more of your sweeter red or rosso variations. Although, in this, our modern day, each region offers a version of red or white. Either way, a lot of people may miss this important part of mixing, which I only recently found out as an adult. Because it's a wine product... It's imperative that once opened, you store your vermouth in the refrigerator. I cannot tell you how many bottles or how many martinis of vermouth were made with old vermouth in my house because I recently only found that out. Makes perfect sense. And also, I immediately ran to my wine cabinet and took all of the uh, expensive bottles of port that I have in there and threw them in the fridge too and sherry and things like that never would have guessed that for my experiments I used a French Norley Pratt Rouge and a Martini and Rossi Rosso for the Italian keeping with the trend I found using French vermouth created a drier more herbaceous drink while the Italian yielded more sweetness and balance fruitier with a richer vermouth essence, I think it complemented the rye better. But if I was using a straight bourbon, I may opt for the, the drier French. It's all about balancing the sweet and the dry. There is such a thing as a dry Manhattan made with white vermouth, but it doesn't hold up in my book. A more popular riff would be the perfect Manhattan, 
made by splitting the vermouth between dry and sweet. The term perfect is used not to say the drink is superior in any way, but rather refers to the equal parts dry and sweet vermouths. Perfect meaning equal in this case. When sipping between the versions, one can definitely understand why all the original recipes specified Italian sweet vermouth. It truly is the best choice for a Manhattan cocktail. The final ingredient is Angostura bitters. A couple of dashes will do you, but I like bitters, so I tend to drop an extra dash in there. The Manhattan falls short of being a true cocktail by definition by virtue of it lacking sugar. Now, Mrs. Podtiki found that a splash of simple syrup takes the edge off this otherwise in-your-face kind of rye-forward strength of this drink. As with all home bartending trysts, it's up to your taste preference, but I chose to stick with the original without the sugar. So, here we go. The Manhattan is 2 ounces of Rittenhouse Rye Whiskey, 1 ounce Martini and Rossi Sweet Vermouth, 3 dashes Angostura Bitters. Stir in a cocktail beaker with plenty of ice till the glass begins to frost. Strain into a coupe and garnish with a lemon twist and a black cherry. If so inclined, allow some of that cherry juice to drop into your glass. Nothing wrong with that. A note on stirring versus shaking. Juices, milk, cream, eggs should always be shaken into a libation. This adds dilution, yes, but more importantly, it aerates and binds the components. It also tends to cloud which is not a big deal when you're making a drink on the rocks in a tiki mug. Therefore, in a drink without those ingredients, like this one, stirring is the preferred method of preparation. It adds necessary dilution while rendering a smooth, silky texture that remains clear and resplendent in your glass. I also want to add that the Manhattan experience pairs splendidly with the fine cigar. I suggest the Perdomo ESV Sungrown, Lagalera Habano, or for a more elegant and refined choice, something from the Aviator series by Principal Cigars. The Manhattan has been an essential part of the craft cocktail resurgence. Though it may take a backseat to its more popular cousin in the old fashion, the Manhattan is not just a throwback but a celebration of how far we've come in rediscovering and luxuriating the timeless tipples of yore. For, before Don Beach created his rum rhapsodies, the likes of Mr. Black were laying the foundation with three chords and the truth. The truth, in this case, being that next time you're at your favorite speakeasy or cigar lounge, holding court with Epicurean guests, or simply winding down with that special someone, Take a moment to let your mind drift to a different time. A time when these classic cocktails were new and exciting. A time when people absconded from reality to a dimly lit leather chair or polished oak bark top, laughed about the vicissitudes of life with good friends, and dared to writhe in love. Just like we all still do. Credits for this episode can be found under the blog at podtiki.com. Please follow Podtiki on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, 
Apple and Google Podcast, and Stitcher Radio, of course, always at podtiki.com, where you can find all past episodes under the archive section, and the recipe index is full of every recipe we've had so far if you just want to see the recipe and not listen to me ramble for 20 minutes. Of course, if you want to read the blog posts that are associated with each episode, they are under the tab for that respective drink. If you just click on it, you'll see the blog come up as well. Also, you can follow Pod Tiki on Instagram at pod underscore tiki. Follow my personal page at rum underscore poet. And also want to give a shout out to Surfside Sips, which I believe is still running the PodTiki promo code. If you put in PodTiki, all capital letters, you'll get 20% off your order there. And say hi from PodTiki. Also, not a sponsor, but just a quick shout out to the guys from the Friends of Rum Society here in Tennessee and Privateer Rum. Had a great time at the launch party for Privateer Rum, hosted by Chopper, uh, our local home tiki bar here. Just want to say, go check those guys out in all their respective formats and platforms. Uh, great meeting all those guys. Also, well, also nothing. Also, that's about it. <laughs> also, I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. And keep it tiki out there. Stay warm out there. And, yeah, I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Happy Thanksgiving. See you guys next time.